I welcome you. Um, if you're visiting here, we are so glad you're here. And um, we are in a series just started by me a couple of weeks ago in First Thessalonians. And so if you're having trouble tracking, um, get with the program. No, uh, I understand it. So Wade is going to be finishing up a series that we had started on the resurrection and the ascension. He'll be finishing that up next week. And then he's going to start uh, in with First Thessalonians with me. So we'll kind of uh, be united on that. From, until we finish First Thessalonians. So, Wade will be preaching, finishing up uh, the um, benefits of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, and then we're also in First Thessalonians today in chapter 2. If you look at your bulletin, if you flip it over, the text is there for you. I'll be reading it in a second. Um, we're going to read the first uh, eight verses of chapter 2 in First uh, Thessalonians. So, I do not like the topic that sort of fell out of these verses, and I I didn't see it coming as I was preparing, but we're going to be talking about leadership, and um, I hate talking about leadership, and I'm one of those people that when I see leadership conferences for churches, you know, I plan to be on vacation those weeks, like, or those, those conferences, in my opinion, are rubbish, they're unneeded, I don't know why we have to have big conferences to talk about leadership, like, that's... That's my perspective and my opinion, and it's not right. It's not a right opinion. I'm just saying that's the kind of thing that I feel when I see those leadership conferences. Even the elders, when I came here, we were talking about this. I think David said it, that, you know, if if Tom were asked to lead a class on leadership, you know, I just wouldn't do that. Um, a class on leadership, just lead, right? That's kind of my thoughts on To me, um, thinking about leadership is like if you were on one of the boats, um, when the Titanic was sinking, and I'm going to bring the Titanic in every single, until I'm gone, you know, which is probably coming. So if you were on that boat, you want somebody not to have a class on leadership. You just want them to lead, right? You want them to, and that's how I feel in a room of people. If somebody's, I was just on jury duty uh, for six weeks, right? And when we got into the, and it's over, so I can talk about it now, I could tell you every juicy detail. If you come talk to me after church, I will tell you everything. Um, hung jury, by the way, mistrial, yeah. So when we got into the deliberation room, there was a guy uh, who immediately took charge. And I was like, yes, thank you. I mean, he led. He just went right for it, and everybody was so grateful. Every single person there was like, yes, Chris, you are leading. You know, we didn't have to have a seminar. We didn't have two days of deliberation to try to pick a foreman. We automatically, he's the guy. You know, it was so helpful, right? So before I read the text, I want you to think for just a second. Who's a person in your life, a manager, I don't, not necessarily a pastor, some, maybe somebody in church, but somebody in your life who's been an excellent leader in your life. And who, who comes to mind first? Think about that person. And would you stand with me to read God's word? First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. God's word says this. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our, our appeal does not spring from error 
or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is God's most holy and infallible word. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, and then I'll have you see. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for these moments. We can talk about leadership and your word and how the gospel meets us today exactly where we are. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you. So the message from last week, uh, looking at chapter 1, I talked about... um, how Paul, the writer of 1 Thessalonians, was addressing the church who were struggling with two things. One, there was a group of people in the church who thought that Jesus was going to return so quickly that they could quit their jobs and they could act like total loafers and do nothing, but live on people's couches and do nothing. Paul's addressing those people like, no, Christ, his return is imminent, we don't know, but you keep working, you keep watching, right? But then there was a whole other group of people in the church, and Paul's trying to address them. They were thinking, Jesus' return is, we don't know, so we're going to just go on business as usual. And they weren't looking for his return at all. right? So those polar opposites, Paul's trying to give the gospel to that church to help them with that particular error. That's a little bit of the background and context to this letter that Paul writes to that church. So you can read it on your own and think about that backdrop, and you'll see things popping out to you uh, where Paul's trying to address that. Today in these verses, Paul um, is trying to show the people why they should listen to him, because he's a good leader, he's a good apostle to them. The gospel has not only changed their lives, as he describes in chapter 1, the gospel changed them by making them imitators of Jesus, by helping them get rid of their idols. I talked about that last two weeks ago. This week, Paul's saying, I'm going to show you how and tell you how the gospel has changed my life. We as leaders in the church, those of us called to give the gospel and build and plant churches, Paul says, I'm going to talk to you about how the gospel of Jesus has made us into the leaders that we are and has transformed us. So have you been thinking about a leader in your life? Uh, Somebody that uh, has been really instrumental Uh, I have one that pops into my head, and as I was even reading these verses and thinking about them over the last few weeks, um, I, when I went to Scotland, we were there for five years, if y'all didn't know, we just got back almost two years ago from Scotland, where we lived for five years. The first job I got there for just about six or seven weeks, uh, I was a bartender at a hotel. And uh, um, we can talk about all the things that you're probably thinking right now late if you want to come talk to me. My manager at this hotel bar situation was a 23-year-old man, Scottish man, named Fraser McLeod. He was the best leader that I've had to date in any job. Sorry, wait. I mean, you know, we worked together. He uh, loved me. He, he worked right alongside me. He taught me everything about how to make a gin and tonic, which is the only thing Scottish people drink at this bar that I worked in. And it was... 
so wonderful to be with him. He was 23 years old. He could have been one of my children. And yet every day I went to work, I thought, this guy's going to help me, work alongside me, care about me. He, he had all the characteristics of a good pastor. And the team that I worked on, he loved every single one of them for who they were. It was amazing. We're still friends today. And he is a, a pilot for Ryan Air, uh, which is an airline over in the UK. Um, and, you know, I watched him go from a manager at a hotel that actually, uh, that hotel was bought out and closed. But I watched him go from this manager at a hotel, this leader for a team of us who were just making cocktails and serving dinner. But he led in such a way that I wanted to lead like him, be like him in the spirit of how he led people around him. No matter how old they were, no matter what experience they had, he was a great leader. So think of your great leaders, the leaders you've had in your life. There's a trajectory in this text for leadership, and it goes like this. The trajectory is like this, and you can look at them sort of in a linear way, but they don't have to be that way. The first part of this arc of leadership that Paul sort of spells out in his uh, in his way of talking about how the gospel has impacted his own life and those who he's with is that there's conflict, right? Look at verse 1 and 2. He says, You brothers and sisters know very well about the suffering, the shameful way we were treated in Philippi. He had this conflict in Philippi. And I was like, what happened in Philippi? Philippians is the love letter. I mean, Philippians is the letter where Paul doesn't seem so upset. Uh, and I'm like, what happened in Philippi? So, you know, I looked that up right away. What happened? To, you know, when he got to Philippi on one of his missionary journeys, because, you know, Paul was the missionary to the Gentile world. In Philippi, when he first got there, he was put in shackles along with the other people he was with and beaten. He had huge... Co- so then it got me thinking, Paul really struggled. I mean, throughout his whole ministry... People were constantly in conflict with him. His people, the Jews, were constantly in conflict with him. Other Gentile, I mean, Gentile people were in conflict with him. He was in constant conflict with people. And I'm just thinking, wow, the Apostle Paul had to go. And so then it got me thinking, what were some of the other things besides beaten, shackled in Philippi? And he talks about that to this Thessalonian church. If you go to 2 Corinthians 11, uh, he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes. Remember, Jesus had 40 lashes, less one. Three times he experienced 40 lashes in his ministry. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned almost to death. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. Oh. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters. The list of Paul's conflicts and, and struggles is long. It just I spent so much time thinking, why do I have anything to complain about in my life? I have nothing to complain about. There are, I mean, when I think about Paul's life being shackled and beaten in Philippi, and then all these other lists in 2 Corinthians 11... Wow, it put it in perspective for me. As a leader, as a pastor, as a human being, as a person who walks into Pete's. Wow, I have nothing to complain about. Indelible Grace Church, you've had a history. You've had hard things. Some of you feel beaten and shackled. All of it, all of it, yes. Paul understands. The, the Word of God understands all of our struggles, all of our conflicts. 
and the beginning, the beginning of actually becoming a leader. Whether you're, I'm not talking pastoral leadership, I'm talking about we're leaders in all our spheres. You're leading in all your places in life. While I was sitting at Pete's this morning, I spilled my entire cup of coffee on myself. Which is why some of you are wondering why I'm dressed so nicely. Because what I had on, my usual jeans, and I did have a nicer shirt on, completely covered in coffee. I literally, within two seconds, spilled the entire thing on myself. I mean, every, I mean, full thing. Like, I sipped it once, and just whole thing. And during that conflict, during that pain, I walked, I literally walked to the front of the store, and a manager, who was an amazing leader, saw what happened to me. And got everything going. I got a new cup of coffee. They cleaned up. They helped me. They loved me. Anyway, sorry. So the trajectory. Paul is in great conflict and pain. And I understand it. Even this morning. And he, he got over it. Right? He obviously got over it because he didn't just leave Philippi when he was shackled and beaten there, but he planted a church. And he kept going enough to plant a church in Thessalonica. So one of the first things of a good leader is you enter conflict every day, constantly. Wherever you're leading, wherever you find yourself as a leader, there's conflict every day. Things happen. People walk in and spill coffee all over, and you've got to figure out what to do with them. So Paul obviously got through that. He says, you know it happened. But we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel even amidst, even because in the midst of those conflicts, he says in verse 2. So then, once a leader goes through horrid conflict, pain, discomfort, all the things that happen in life, the next part of the trajectory is you become authentic. Actually, when you make it through conflict, when you make it through the pain of life and trial as a person in this world, and you are a leader in your sphere because you continue to walk on, and I would say as believers, we continue to go on because of the gospel, the boldness and goodness of what Christ has done, who also experienced pain and conflict, dangers from those in his own party, in his own company, just like Paul said about himself. Once you walk through that, you become a real bunny. You become authentic. If you look at the text, Paul says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. We didn't attempt to deceive. We didn't attempt to get your approval to please people, but to please God. We didn't want to flatter you in verse 5. We didn't do it out of greed as God is our witness. We weren't trying to have glory from people. We could have made demands on you because we're apostles, said Paul. But we wanted to just get through the burdens of being a missionary in the first century. Planting churches in the Gentile world, Paul says, we wanted to just walk through that because of the gospel and be our authentic selves. Who we are, bold to tell you of the goodness of what Christ has done. If you're able to let things go and move past pain and move past conflict, the next step is that you stop trying to flatter and please people and you're not looking to have things work out for yourself so much. You're not trying to be the apostle in the room and all the things. But you're just trying to be authentic. Do you know if you look up authenticity on YouTube, there's, that is the, the, the videos of the day. Everyone wants to be authentic. They want to be real. 
Like there are literally guys in their 20s on the first top 10 videos on authenticity trying to tell people how to be authentic. The first step of being authentic is don't watch videos on being authentic. (laughs) But it's what everybody longs for. And yet Scripture helps us see how the Gospel, after we... One of the one of the first ways to be authentic is to walk through conflict and pain, beatings and shacklings in places where you don't expect it, and to keep going because of the goodness of the gospel of what Christ has done. Because of the one who was shackled and beaten on our behalf, we can keep going. And if we are willing to do that, or made capable by the Spirit and the gospel, authenticity can come. We start letting go of trying to flatter and be greedy or please or all the things that Paul says, we're not coming to you this way. We're trying to bring our real authentic selves. How Christ is making us and remaking us. So the trajectory of having pain and then getting through that by the Gospel and you have authenticity, the honesty, the realness. And the next step, as we see it in the, in the text, is that we are able as leaders in your own sphere, in the church, outside the church, in our families, in our jobs, we, as Paul says, are able to test our own hearts as you look at verse 4 at the end of verse 4. He says, as we were with you, we went through pain, we came to you in boldness because of the gospel, we were our authentic selves. We were real with you. We weren't trying to put on anything. And we were testing our hearts the whole time. How do you test your own heart? Most of us don't. I don't enjoy it. As I came as an interim pastor to Indelible Grace Church many months ago, it was a testing of my own heart. As I sat with Wade and with Tracy in staff meetings, I realized these two people are going to start seeing me. And they're going to begin as brothers and sisters to help me test my own heart, to see myself for who I am, to bring me feedback once, because I don't like feedback very much at all. And so I stop that as quickly as I can. Stifle that. Knock. As I said, even in our town hall meeting out in the courtyard, if you miss this, that when it comes to feedback and critical feedback, I don't like it. In fact, Tracy said, how do we give that to you? And I said, you don't. <laughs> Just don't. And But you know, even those questions, even spending time with other believers is one way And I think it was one of the ways that Paul was able to test his own heart, as he always was in the company of Silvanus or Timothy or Barnabas. He had a company with him. When you're with other believers authentically, maybe even in pain, it's an opportunity to test your heart, to let them see you, to love you, to help you repent, to help you re-believe the gospel for yourself. I encourage you to take moments to test your own heart, to uh, ask someone in your life, as a leader, to be asking people near to you, to say, do you see me? And if you do, tell me what you see. Tell me, give me critical feedback. Talk to me. Test me. And you know, the Lord is good. When He tests you, He doesn't tempt you, right? James says He doesn't do that. But when the Lord puts you in testing situations as parents, as spouses, as leaders in your job, as elders and leaders and volunteers and people using your gifts in a church, He's going to test your heart. 
And I'll say this, what I've seen coming into Indelible Grace Church is, yeah, lots of you, your hearts have been tested. Would you say that that's the case? A lot of testing. And those who know testing realize that your only way to pass tests is re-embracing the gospel of what Christ has done for you. That Christ has met all your ultimate tests. He, He has accomplished all of it. And we can repent and believe the gospel afresh. So, the arc of leadership, the pain of conflict, becoming authentic as we continue holding close to the gospel, seeing our hearts tested uh, as leaders and continuing to walk that path. And what that brings, verse 7, is a gentleness. Leaders who have kind of been on this trajectory of a pain, they become real and honest. They are men and women who test their own hearts, allow the Spirit of God to test them, the people of God to test them. Once they walk in this kind of trajectory, what eventually hopefully happens in leaders is they become gentle people. Why did Paul pick gentleness out of all the fruits of the Spirit? Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Gentleness is the one that he says has kind of happened for him. Why do you think Paul picked that? I think Paul said gentleness, affection, a nursing mother kind of thing, because that's not like Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Roman citizen with the equivalent of three PhDs. He was a hard guy. He was tough. He was on his way on the road to Damascus to murder pull Christians out of their homes, imprison them. Paul was a rough guy. For him to say, after many conflicts, after dangers, after being beaten and shackled, being made by the Gospel gentle. That says something. That says that Christianity is true. If somebody like Paul can become gentle in his leadership, That means the gospel is real, guys. So think about your own life. Think about the leaders in your, think about the leaders you know who are terrible leaders. Maybe even in the church. You're like, wow, terrible leaders. Well, if Paul, the apostle, can be made by the gospel into a gentle human being, at least at some point, not probably all the time, but if Paul could be made gentle, the leaders of IGC have hope. Your leaders in your life, especially as believers, or you yourself, if you're like, gosh, I'm a terrible leader, there's hope in the gospel for you. If Paul can become gentle by the gospel, you can also become loving and joyful and self-controlled and all the other fruits of the Spirit. It can happen. And lastly, the trajectory of leadership through pain, the authenticity that can come, the honesty, the realness, the testing of the heart, the repentance, the gentleness, and the fruit of the Spirit. The last thing Paul says is in verse 8, we've shared the gospel of God, and in so doing, as apostles, as those who come bringing Jesus to you, we brought our own selves The final piece of leadership is the ability by the gospel to bring yourself to a leadership in your life, to to being a leader, bringing yourself. Um, I don't, and the cool thing about that, 
is that every single person in this room is completely different than the other person in this room. You're all unique, beautiful Christian people. And if you don't know Christ, I encourage you to embrace this Jesus who can take a guy like the Apostle Paul, who was a horrible human being, and make him into like a nursing mother. You're like, I don't. Take a guy like that and make him a gentle, authentic person. But for you and I as leaders to bring ourselves, the beauty of that in the church is that when I as a leader bring myself and I give all of myself, that's nothing like when Wade comes and gives all of himself. Because Wade is Wade. I'm me. When Cindy brings herself, when Faye brings hers, like we all bring something unique and beautiful when we bring all of who we are to the body of Jesus, right? That's the beauty of the church. When, when and if Jesse comes as your new senior pastor, he and Jessica and Abby and Amos, they're going to, hopefully, their leadership, I mean, and I think listening to Jesse last week and learning a little bit about his life, he's been through pain and conflict. He seems honest and real by the, and all these things. By the gospel of Jesus Christ, these things don't just magically happen. It happens by the grace of the gospel. And he's going to have to continue on this trajectory. These, well, okay. So the last thing I'll say, I'm just going to stop there. You get what I'm going We do, the title of my message is, we get stuck. And that's the truth. Absolutely. I get stuck in all my places of leading, in my family, in church. When I just go into a place, trust me, when you walk into any business or anywhere you go, you walk in as a leader or someone following or someone, you, you're, and we, we get stuck. So think for a moment, I'm going to give you a second, where are you stuck in this trajectory? Some of you can't get past the conflict and the pain. Maybe in church or maybe in some other part of your life. I'm not saying it has to be that you can't get past conflict here. Maybe you can't get past conflict in your marriage. Maybe there's pain. I don't know. But until the gospel of what Christ has done for you can nudge you out of that and heal that, and trust me, this is one of the ways to do that, is think about the gospel. If you're struggling with other people in conflict with other people, trust me, Jesus has been in, has looked at you as someone who is very easily in conflict with him, and he has authentically loved you gently as a nursing mother and given all of himself to you. So maybe maybe you're stuck, maybe you're stuck in gentleness. You're like, well, Tom, that's that's the place we should be stuck. You know, you can be stuck in gentleness and never ever give all of who you are. That means you're a nice person, you're you're placating possibly, but you really haven't gone all in. Some of you are in that place here in this church. I'll say that as an outsider who's come in. That you're just on the fringe, you're, you're gentle and kind, but have you gone all in? You're like, well, I, I need to decide that. Yeah, you do. You go before God. Let Him test your heart. Let Him show you where you might be stuck. Because trust me, you are a leader in this church. Does it matter about a call to Jesse? Does it matter about Wade and the elders? Does it matter about... 
You're all leaders in some way in the body of Jesus Christ who we're all under the head, the, the shepherd, the great shepherd who has made it through all the conflict, who is authentically real and honest with who he is. He's gentle. He's all in. And he loves you. I love you guys. What a blessing to be able to get to know you a little bit. Whoever is your next person, they're going to be so blessed. You're beautiful, wonderful. You're a beautiful church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. It is our only hope. Lord, I just pray that you would allow transformation to happen as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Lord, that this tangible way of drinking and eating of what you have done, Lord Jesus, for us would somehow bring life to us, uh, bring hope to us, would make us the leaders that we're called to be. Do all that work by your Spirit, through this sacrament, through this Word. We, we hope it together in the name of Jesus. Amen.